the idea of computing with us is delusional how can they provide the service we offer how can they be so clean tweeted a minister from a foreign country in response to the prime minister of india's cuba diving in the lakshadweep and set off a tourism war with india in response many people in india tweeted boycott maldives which set off a series of offers to develop lakshadweep as an alternative to the maldives tourism in india peaked in 2019 before the pandemic uh, with foreign tourist arrivals or ftas at 1 crore and domestic tourism at believe this 230 crores so 1.6 lakh tra- uh, indians traveling to maldives in 2019 and getting the second place in their tourism arrival is a small fraction of the potential travelers going out of india it's hard to tell how many of the 2.7 crore departures from india in 2019 were tourists and how much was business and immigration and other things but mckinsey puts the number at a little over 2 crores it also says 8 crore indians are expected to travel out of the country for tourism by 2040 so what does this mean for tourist locations in india even if we say all of the 1.6 lakh people stop going to maldives and visit our locales they'll just be a drop in the ocean it's not the number of tourists alone that is the problem it's the consequences of bad behavior and unrestrained activity in sensitive areas look at the recent news report of the 4000 trekkers clogging kumara parvata in karnataka uh, during the republic day holidays this story is repeated all across the country in very tourist locations it's just thrashing our hills and valleys and beaches and everything else how do we fix this so we can actually enjoy our locales we talked to three people who have been at the forefront of trying to solve these problems ram kumar cb is the vice chair of the global sustainable tourism council or gstc as it's called it's an international organization that trains and builds capacity in industry and government to make tourism more sustainable with a past heading advertising agencies he has switched to putting where money where his mouth is and ran a resort focused on sustainability jenny pinto or other guest believes that the business of everyday living must be at the heart of any discussion on sustainability and climate change because it is the aspirations and demands of common people that ultimately influence policy economy and change she is a filmmaker writer lighting designer and paper maker and founded a lighting design company called urja based out of bengaluru that uses waste as raw material in making lamps and light fixtures she uses her combined experience to create communication about the environment and she's recently writing a book as well on the environment shobhana chandrashekar is a convener of namma nilgiris a citizens group formed to foster community spirit and find solutions to civic issues in nilgiris She is also the founding trustee of the Nilgiri Mountain Arts Initiative that runs a gallery 12 uh, a free public art gallery created from an abandoned unlicensed toilet as a free of cost platform for upcoming artists So thank you all uh, Uh, for uh, being on the show and uh, coming together to kind of address this very important uh, conversation we need to have right now uh, what then should we do about these tourist places right uh, this whether or not there is going to be an influx of people coming in uh, based on the conversation uh, we've been having uh, before we click record uh, i 
I realize that we are not there yet, right? Um, and what is there, right? Is it the UN SDGs? What is it that we feel is there? And what are the problems that the tourist places, when I say tourist places, I obviously mean it could be beaches, it could be forests, it could be cultural heritage sites, it could be uh, the hill stations and whatever. Here's where I remember this uh, tweet, uh, which I'll put up. Uh, somebody said hill stations have just become a Sarojini market on slopes, right? That was very telling in how it is. It's not about the commerce alone, which is essential, but it's about how uh, citizens seem to be bringing their cities into a different place, right? Uh, what are the problems you guys have seen? I'd like uh, Jenny and Shobana to take a stab at this to define. You've been working a lot in this space. You've been working in the Nilgiris for decades on these uh, issues. What do you think are the problems we face? Uh, all tourist places face pretty similar problems. Uh, like we all know, there's overcrowding, uh, the transformation of commons into uh, places which are geared towards tourist use uh, and the slow pushing out of locals. Um, there's also uh, the strain on limited um, natural resources such as water, air pollution, um, littering and a strain on municipal services, uh, a lack of parking for locals, um, and also an increase in the general cost of living. Talking specifically about the Neil Grease, um, I would say that we are a case study for the mismanagement of tourism and for, um, you know, over-tourism. We see all of the problems that uh, I mentioned before here. We have terrible overcrowding now during all weekends and uh, especially during the tourist season. Um, our local spaces have all are all now geared towards tourism. Um, for example, the only public park we have in the Neil Grease, um, the two two public parks, the Sims Park in Kunor and uh, the Botanical Garden in Uti, now both have entry fees for locals to take a walk inside. Um, and um, we now have to buy water during the tourist season. We also now are slowly seeing the transformation of residential areas into commercial areas. A lot of um, homes are being converted into Airbnbs. Uh, the general gentrification of um, Kuno has been you know, kind of uh, shocking in the last uh, year or so. We've seen multiple big brands coming into the Nilgiris like KFC and uh, Pizza Hut and uh, Third Wave Coffee and what have you. So um, locals are slowly, you know, getting um, pushed out of places that they've always lived in and uh, places that we remember from uh, our childhood are now, you know, get, being raised to the ground and um, multi-story buildings are coming up, which is really very sad. Uh, we are also seeing our real estate uh, boom that has, uh, you know, all our tier estates are now being converted into real estate, uh, sadly because of the poor price of tea as compared to the uh, return on investment if uh, someone put up a hotel or such. So uh, it's really sad, but 
you know, this this district that has over the years, um, you know, started off as a small hill town where people would come sometimes on a summer holiday and, uh, you know, maybe stay for a month and then go back is now turned into a destination for day trippers who uh, come in in the mornings, uh, usually bring their own food. Uh, there's very little that is given back to the local economy. The, the economy doesn't really benefit as much as what we think it does. Uh, we have a huge amount of footfall and the strain on the district far outweighs, in my opinion, the benefits that we see. Uh, of course, there are um, people who are benefiting. Uh, they're, they're, my family, for example, is one, you know, most bigger hotels and uh, people who are able to put in a large investment do benefit. But um, when there is an argument that, um, you know, the, the tea shop owner or the corner store is benefiting, I would say that a lot of these uh, businesses are now owned by recent migrants or uh, people who come up from the plains just for the season and set up shop and disappear once the season is over. So um, I really don't know where exactly we are headed, but if uh, we don't have serious policy changes in how tourism is managed and uh, restricted in the Nilgiris, I truly believe that we are going down a slippery slope and we're going to end up in a place where, um, you know, this uh, charming and quaint hill station turns into something that's garish and um, where people don't really want to come anymore. Um, we are milking the district dry and um, killing the goose that lays the golden egg in, and it's not something that... I want to see in my lifetime. So um, I think we should take the lessons that uh, other destinations that have kind of gone over the hill have learned a little too late and um, put some uh, kind of um, checks and balances in place before it's too late. What concerns me the most is the drastic change in landscape that has occurred over the past decade or so. Uh, although our landscape has seen varied amounts of changes ever since the British um, discovered the Nilgiris um, 200 years ago, um, larger changes have, have happened since the 80s when um, forest lands were converted into tea estates. Uh, when there was a sudden influx of labor, when um, uh, Sri Lankan refugees were rehomed in the Nilgiris. And then now more recently with the tourism boom, with the fall in tea prices and a shortage of labor, um, this has led to the need to find uh, an alternate source of income for most people and um, policies have changed to accommodate the local needs and um, it's uh, really sad to see our hillsides being indiscriminately sliced in order to allow more tourists to come in uh, faster 
and um, buildings coming up where there was once virgin forest. So I would say that this has been the most difficult thing to witness and um, our and being a part of the first bioreserve in the country, the Nilgiris Biosphere Reserve, um, it is distressing to see uh, local flora and fauna which are so special being displaced. And uh, it is also very concerning that the man-animal conflict in the district has exploded and um, due to the change in land use and the severing of corridors that once allowed uh, our animals to cross safely from one forest to another without having to meet a human. I want to take uh, Jenny's thoughts on that. Uh, Jenny Shobana has observed being a native. Over time, she's been able to make out the difference in that thing. Uh, what have you observed in what, for the time that you have been there trying to look at these issues? Um, you know, I'm actually, um, since I used to be in advertising and then I've, uh, I've, 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 many years ago, I got very interested in consumer behavior mm -hmm. and I began to look at it more and more from the perspective of environment. And in fact, so now I'm actually for the past few years, mm -hmm. I've been working on a book for school children. But, uh, what I observe about people coming, see, I think the prosperity in the rest of the country definitely reflects on tourism, on the number of people traveling, on what they expect. And what strikes me, because even my neighborhood actually is a place that people, even locals like to come and hang out and drink and, you know, and they leave garbage behind. It's a pristine hillside, but they will leave their garbage behind and go. And that that's that uh, always makes me think that if you come to a place, everyone travels actually for something that's different from their urban space when urbanites travel. You want something pristine, you want clean air, you want, you know, a, a, a nice landscape. But you come there and then you bring all the very same things that pollute your city, your cars, your garbage, your packaged food, your plastic, and you and you leave it behind and you go. And that's, some, that's something that I don't understand, actually. So I, I uh, the responsible tourism, I feel the tourist ha has to take some responsibility. There is no, I, I think it's a lack of thinking. There's a lack of maybe just this excitement of, because even even when uh, the, uh, you know, there are certain tourist spots in the Nilgiris, everyone wants to take their car mm. right up to that spot when actually the uh, pleasure of the Nilgiris is being able to walk. But you want to take your car right up to that spot and you don't mind standing in an hour long, you know, to, waiting in an hour long traffic jam. Well, you're used to that in your city, so you know you you sort of don't think anything about it. But you will wait. You will you will not enjoy the place for what it is. And I've seen that on the beach. I've seen that. So you want your cars and your bars, as I say. I say you know wherever you go, you want that same urban comforts and the urban entertainment. So so uh, travel becomes a form of entertainment, which is something also I don't understand. Why are you not interested in a culture of a place? Is it because it's not available for you to see? Because recently, Shobhana and I also organized a photo exhibition on the history of the Nilgiris. And the interest that came from local people uh, was amazing, actually, mm. which, which made us realize that actu it's, it's, it's actually <clears throat> not available. To look at the entire history of the Nilgiris, from its geological history to its cultural, current cultural history, the number of communities that settled there, you know, and the interest that came, then you, then you realize, okay, maybe from the supply side, it's not there. 
So mm. will will it? And that made me wonder: Will tourism, will the quality of the tour of to of tourist yeah. behavior improve if you gave them uh, not luxury like Ram Kumar said, but more a cultural experience, the opportunity to look and to look at the at the at the place that they are coming to, give them easy opportunities to partake in the pleasures of of that place actually, which is. Which in the case of the Nilgiris would be walking, would be, you know, and and the and, uh, and the Nilgiris has a lot of wildlife. We have we are surrounded by about three wildlife sanctuaries, tiger sanctuaries. Some of them are tiger sanctuaries, and the, the impact of tourism has also increased the man-animal conflict. Mm. You know, we have for people who live there, of course, because of our own behavior, we are we are turning, like she says, tier estate to become real estate. We get closer and closer and near to the forest, but. But because of that of development, there is a lot of um, um, disturbance to animals. There's a, there's an increase in conflict and and all the ensuing problems: water shortage, pollution. I mean, the traffic jams on the on the roads going up. There, there have been landslides. So, in order to accommodate traffic, what the authorities do? It's a knee jerk reaction: broaden the ghat roads. And there, for the first time. I think ever, Shobna, correct me if I'm wrong. There have been landslides, you know, in the, over the past 15 years, because uh, of, of and it's and I, and and uh, on, on the on the on the roads going up because you know they're they're hurriedly done. They're not scientifically made. They're not uh, so those sort of problems are actually serious problems, and they sort of are symptomatic of what is the larger problems that are environmental problems that are happening. So those, I, I think, the lack of awareness is also probably one of the reasons. Mm. And it's very nice to hear that Ramkumar does. Uh, they do also train government uh, because I think the on the government side, people who do all the planning and all the infrastructure building need to be far more aware of the place that they're working in. You know, they need to be they, the level of awareness is actually probably very low, because even with this photo exhibition we did, I was surprised at how few people knew the entire history of the Nilgiris Mountains. You know, and and maybe because we put it together hmm. from you know two two and a half billion years ago to to twenty twenty three, maybe that that was new. But the fact is, very few people actually uh, knew much about the place they were living in. We don't want all the externalities that all these things causes, which is uh, increased pressure on all the resources, right? Whether it is environmental, cultural, or whatever it is, there is a trajectory of how people want to explore that place, but they leave behind unsustainable uh, things that is hard to manage for the locals and for the people who live there and the nature of the place changes, right? Uh, so, Ram, uh, what do you think this sustainable tourism really is? I, I hark back to what uh, Jenny told me, uh, or responsible tourism, whatever, however you want to define it, is a responsible tourism comes with a responsible tourist, right? That's one way of looking at it. But what, how do you define this whole sustainable tourism, responsible tourism? I know uh, GSTC has been doing a bunch of work. There is the formal piece of it and this how you think it should be. And how do you want to leave this? How, how do you visualize these places in the future? How do you define sustainable tourism? Yeah, so there, there is a standard definition for sustainable tourism that was developed by the United Nations Environmental Program, which mm -hmm. has been renamed UN Environment now where they've said that tourism that takes care of the needs of society, tourists, and everybody involved for the future, so that the future needs mm -hmm. of society and tourists are not compromised. 
and it in fact thrives is is a loose definition not giving you the exact words uh but the definition for sustainable tourism exists and it's an accepted definition globally um how many people follow it you know is is a, is a whole discussion in itself um what's happening with uti uh i mean if it makes you folks feel a little better uh it's happening around the world uh we think it's an india centric problem uh we think oh my god you know as indians you know we have no civic sense and we are not aware and this that's the reason why our tourism destinations are getting degraded like uti uh but if it makes you feel any better let me tell you this is a global syndrome venice is our classic example one of the world's i mean 25 million tourists a year go to venice venice today is a declining destination you know we define declining destinations destinations where people don't want to sort of go anymore because it's too crowded it's too degraded venice is one of them and in fact there's this cultural anthropologist called salvatore setis who wrote a book saying when venice drowns i think i think that's the name of the book basically he talks about if climate change does not drown venice tourism will and he goes on to say what is venice without the venetians because venetians are moving out much like what's happening in uti so this is happening around the world is all i'm trying to say uh it's happening in venice uh it's happening in thailand uh it's happening in parts of you know south america so this is a global syndrome why did this happen because governments around the world realize that tourism is a great revenue earner and governments need to do what they need to do for the citizens you know people who elect them into 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 power they are meant to put down policies for the prosperity of citizens and the economy tourism was one of those uh, i hesitate to blame anybody it happened at a time when it happened for the reasons that policy makers thought was best at that point in time let's take ot specifically phenomenal hill station you know for anybody around that region you want to escape the summer ot was the place right um so it came out of necessity it came out of necessity for people to escape it came out of necessity for governments to earn revenue it came out of necessity for prosperity for some of the people you know in ot now what has happened till now is that's gone to the level where it's beginning to degrade like you rightly said you know the environment is being degraded you can't walk in the streets and that in my opinion is happening because nobody had a framework to work within all governments were told tourism you know boost tourism in your state and what do governments know best get you know some fantastic people to develop advertising you know in our previous life jenny and i used to do that develop a great piece of advertising put it out there is the easiest thing to do you see and that's it you promote a place and in today's day and age you get influencers as they are called you know go to a place experience it blog about it instagram about it whatever and uh, it's done so promoting and getting a destination to where it is today the degrading state that is a very very easy thing to do and governments did the easy thing because that is all that governments knew nobody knew any better even activists didn't know any better at that time everybody celebrated the fact that wow you know you suddenly have tourism and everybody is prosperous and you know now time has passed and the world has realized that it's unsustainable anymore we're killing the the goose that's laying the golden egg 
So which is why, you know, I belong to the Global Sustainable Tourism Council, the GSTC as it's called. So standards were, we were charged to develop standards by the United Nations system uh, 15, 17 years ago. And so now the world has standards they can follow for destinations like Uti. So can we reverse the damage that is being done? Yes. Can we reverse the damage that has happened to the environment? Yes. We saw it during COVID, right? There are many parts of the world which reported saying, wow, we're suddenly seeing birds which we never saw before. We're suddenly seeing vegetation come up, you know. Uh, we saw that because, why? Because human activity, you know, reduced drastically. So is it possible for us to revive everything that has been degraded? Yes, it is possible. There is a framework available. Now, it comes yeah. down to do governments have the political will to go down that path? Because everybody thinks sustainable tourism means less number of tourists, cut down a number of tourists. Not necessarily. If that is a solution, so be it. But that is not the solution to cut down a number of tourists. See, we all should remember something. When a tourist goes on tourism trip, it's a reward that he's given himself, he or she. I worked hard, I've been slogging my butt off, and now I want to give myself a reward. And that's a vacation for me, my family. So every tourism trip is a celebration. And I always say mm. in my training program, tourists are like teenagers. Teenagers don't think when they act because the frontal cortex hasn't developed properly. That happens to, to tourists when they come on tourism trips. They do things that are irrational, that they wouldn't do with their living in their own homes. Typically in a hotel, they will take a plate at the buffet and fill it full of food. They will never do that at home, right? I mean, they leave the fan on and leave the room or leave the AC on and leave the room, which they would never do at home. So the moment you go on a tourism oh. trip, tourists become like teenagers, which means what, what do we mean here? They do things without thinking. The moment you give tourists guidance on how they should behave, it is universally recognized that tourists conform. Excellent. So the only way to change to the, the way they behave though. is to put guardrails for them. And the moment you put guardrails, tourists start to behave. And now I've experienced that myself on my resort, which is a 100% eco resort. I've had tourists, like I've been told, you know, groups of tourists who are the worst in the world. But... The moment they come, I give them all a complete debrief of the kind of resort I've built, why I've done, what I've done. And I tell everybody, these are the guidelines that you need to follow when you're here. And the worst tourists, as some of the travel agents call them, everybody conformed. I've had zero problems with anybody degrading my place. And we've seen this as a global mm. syndrome. We've seen this in dive sites. The moment you tell scuba divers, ask the buoyancy, check your buoyancy. Ensure you don't touch the corals. Just that one instruction. Coral touching has reduced by 40 to 50% by just one guideline. So I'm an advocate, as you can see. I'm not an activist. I believe that behavior of tourists can be governed. I believe governments mm -hmm. need to develop the frameworks and the guidelines are available. You know, our guidelines are available free of charge on the internet for everybody. When all this falls into place, Tourism destinations can be revived and you can bring back the glory of your childhood days, Shobhana Faruti. That's my firm belief. People keep um, talking about COVID. You know, Ramkumar, I just want to say what, 
what happened during covid i've never i never think it's a good analogy because everyone stayed home and that's not what we want that's not the way the real world functions that's that's not the way anyone wants it so if if everyone stayed at home of course things were going to be different but nobody is mm. going to stay at home now that things are sort of back to normal so we we need to actually use that maybe as a learning but mm. say yes how do we then take that as an important learning and let it influence what how we do things looking forward you know obviously less is more when it comes to when it comes to the environment and when it comes to climate yeah. change tourists are like uh, teenagers and they need guidance and they need guardrails and who can do that before we get into who can do that uh what ha- why should the urban dwellers care about these issues i'm glad you're asking that because so far we've been looking at tourism as a completely anthropocentric um it is an anthropocentric problem but the solutions are not anthropocentric mm-hmm. and if we only look at at things that to do with human beings it is actually going to be we will never find a solution because the fact is and this is a scientific fact that whether you take anything you take a, bio, a forest you take the ocean you take uh, you take any place apart from say a, a cultural heritage which is again about human beings they actually are the providers of everything we need to live which is oxygen water and food the basics and climate change is about see- seeing how our behaviors impacting exactly that the ability for nature to provide us with a very basic thing the ocean for instance is provide 70% of our oxygen i mean i don't know how many people know this and uh, forests are really uh, important for for water you know for water all over the and and so the cities definitely benefit from these natural spaces i mean it's a direct benefit that we get the problem is we don't know so when so when we say the nilgiris is is uh, is uh, having a water issue it's not just the nilgiris the sources of water for that go down to the plains is also what's being impacted you know so it's it's not just oh the nilgiris is having a water issue no not at all it's it's far more it's far, it's it's far wider than that is the awareness level i mean i think somewhere we've got to actually start the, the if 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 ramkumar feels that the industry is more responsible than the tourists and the industry maybe has to take on governments and the industry have to take on that responsibility of increasing awareness of why we should be mindful of this it's not just about a plastic bag around a dolphin's nose that's not it it's actually far far deeper and far more complex than that jenny there's a lot of angst about people who can afford to go into these kind of tourist places can will do that and ram said that very nicely is that people are rewarding themselves for a break of uh, rewarding themselves with a break for accomplishments why should they be not transporting the city into where they are going what do you think you are expecting people coming into these places to have and understand who does it will get into that how do we do that we'll get into that but what do you think they should know and come come into this place with you know the analogy of of teenagers is actually correct as well and and the fact that they reward themselves both but when a, when you watch a teenager reward himself what does he do he wants to go and just you know uh, sometimes go on a self destructive path and i think that's what you have to make people understand that the path that you and teenagers get punished as well don't they in the sense in school or your parents you're still monitoring them you punish them as well so it's not just giving them guardrails sometimes you give them a whack so <laughs> don't see any harm in sometimes giving them a 
a gentle rap and say you know i think uh, because i think if they have i always feel that if people have an understanding of the larger picture the larger picture is very rarely told to us is very rarely mm-hmm. given to us so the larger picture has to be part of how a tourist how a tourist is uh, you know it's it's not just about hey we, we please were uh, please put your don't put your towels for washing every day and don't use you know the plastic bottles it's it has to go beyond that it has mm. to go to a much larger and that's become necessary because i wanted to ask that to ram actually it's become necessary to redefine what sustainable tourism is only because of the fact that we are now in a highly climate changing world you know mm. and we know that it's our behavior that's causing this and we know that tourism uh, is a one right. of the impactful industries because travel you don't i mean it's not just behavior of the tourist in the place it's that travel to the place the carbon footprint of even flying or driving or you know whatever to that place that's also has to add to the tourism uh, footprint yeah so let me i mean i give a very loose definition and the fault was mine so let me read out the formal okay. definition of sustainable tourism which is the world tourism organization has put this in place define sustainable tourism as tourism that takes full account of its current and future economic social and environmental impacts addressing the needs of visitors the industry the environment and host communities this is the definition of sustainable tourism it has a good tourism. comprehensive definition yeah you know satya you know this has been the challenge globally again you know we think everything yeah. of course the environment is very important you know you're not taking away from that but the fact remains that just by by reordering the definitions things are not going to change let's say this definition we put environment Correct. first before economic and social things are not going to change action on the ground can be prioritized in a way that takes into account there is a lot of nuance in this right i mean you if you call something a forest we don't need to change the definition of sustainability is what ram is saying we need to know how to deal with it in the order in which you said we need to deal with right and who are the stakeholders here that's what i want to come to now and ram has worked with all the stakeholders of the government side when more tourists come in there are many options on our hands it could be control right it could be reducing the irrationality to more rationality who will do that who does control how much is control is there a natural control ram i want you to chime in on this there is now bring in the industry angle of what i know gstc is trying to make this order happen and it has now become urgent that everybody steps in we need to bring all sides of this and we all have our biases because we've been working on it if i've been cleaning bottles and it looks like a mountain of uh, bottles that we are cleaning every day and it's not working we are going to be biased and say there can be no bottles it needs to be banned but that's a useful negotiating angle to come with and say how do we deal with these challenges who does the bottles who does the waste how do we do this from your experience with your uh, uh work in the industry where do you think they have gotten we have to reframe and rethink the issues completely differently that's the only way we'll arrive at solutions one of the first things mm. i tell destinations and you know tourism destinations you know where there is a challenge like uti is mm. we have to realize that 80% of tourism is private sector the temptation to say it is a government to blame for all the woes of tourism is something that we need to get over uh, mm. 
and we need to understand that the fact that governments do what is demanded of them no representative of ours sitting in parliament anywhere does things out of their own initiative let's be very clear parliamentarians act based on demands that citizens make on them so when it comes to destinations i mean i was recently in meghalaya in tura you know i was also in vanavatu in the south pacific island and it's the same discussion where mm. i tell the private sector what is the demands that you are making of yourself first and then mm. of the governments of the region especially for smaller areas you know if it's a small area that we're talking about you know uti the uti town itself is what 30 50 square kilometers you know what is it that can be done there is something that the private sector and the citizens need to come out and start to define but that definition needs to be all encompassing and it needs to be long term governments then will sit up and listen and we've seen this across the globe we call them destination stewardship councils when people in the destination come mm-hmm. together sit at the table where they act as stewards for the destination there's an ownership for the destination and when everybody sits together and says this is what we want for the destination mm. universally everybody is when they sit down together universally things start to work there have been destinations in northern italy which have tried this in greece which have tried this and it's worked everywhere the moment you put together mm-hmm. what we call a destination stewardship council that is people in the destination all stakeholders to stakeholders of tourism they come together and everybody puts on the table what they want and what they want changed and when that mm-hmm. happens everybody's needs are addressed and that is the only way in a sustainable way when i say sustainable way for the next 20 years 30 years 50 years a destination starts to prosper and thrive and not degrade the way it's degrading expecting the see i again i come back to it i'm sorry i'm repeating myself expecting the government to take the lead for this is not something that we as citizens should wait for not because the government is Fair incapable enough. there are so many places where i've seen the government's phenomenally capable i've seen this in parts of madhya pradesh i've seen this in parts of meghalaya and in other parts of the world also but the private sector along with the government needs to do this together so that the old format of the blame game pointing fingers stops only then we'll be able to start to tell governments footfalls and number of tourists is not the only measure of successful tourism measure yep footfalls and number of uh, tourists is what we define as a success factor that needs to shift mm. but that shift we all need to do together this entire maldives versus lakshadweep discussion and i don't know whether people have no. read the statement that was issued by the directorate of lakshadweep which very clearly said there are very clear supreme court mm. guidelines on how much lakshadweep can be developed lakshadweep you are not going to see 100 hotels there because the guidelines for lakshadweep are extremely strict and people are not aware of that because that mm. doesn't make headline news so yeah is lakshadweep going to be the next maldives no only because the guidelines will not allow it geographically we don't have enough number of beaches for it to become the next maldives point number 1 okay. 
Point number two, we have enough other beaches in this country. If you just take the Karnataka coast, they're all completely underdeveloped in my, when I put that in quotes. Hello? What do I mean by that? People aren't even aware of so many of those beaches. So it's not like we don't have enough number of beaches and everybody says, oh my God, we have nowhere else to go. Maldives is the only place. And now we have a nationalistic problem with Maldives, so we will not go there. Those are not realistic discussions which are on the ground, which reflect the situation on the ground. Fair enough. And I am also going to put Hush Boycott Maldives in my thumbnail so people come and listen to this conversation. So I'm guilty of the same clickbait that everybody else has used. Uh, but it's important to use this now in a positive way to steer the conversation towards saying, how do we deal with irrationality that you define? I'm not willing to let the government completely off the hook uh, at some point, but at least the steering of this conversation needs to happen, like you said, from the industry side. It is a lobby that is trying to do certain things and revenue is a sustainability for these resorts as well. It cannot run without people coming in. Uh, how do you bal- How will the industry balance sustainability, quote-unquote, education or steering or nudging of irrationality into more rational behaviors? Where do you see that going? Satya, I'm not letting the government off the hook either. The government plays a huge mm-hmm. role in terms of policy making. In fact, in all our conversations with governments, I mean, with the national government and with state governments, it has been draw the policy that facilitates this. So the Gujarat government, for example, is one of the first state governments to have put it into the policy where they've told the industry that if you get yourself certified according to the GSTC standards, the certification will be subsidized by 50%. That's nudging mm-hmm. the industry towards sustainability. Right? Mm. The Turkish government, for example, has passed a law which says that all their 22,000 plus tourism establishments must become certified according to the GSTC norms. Otherwise, by 2030, their license will be cancelled. Now, Turkey is an extreme example where they are forcing it. But most other governments around the world are incentivizing the industry so that voluntarily people move towards it. But the starting point is policy. It's a carrot and stick. Hmm. policy guidelines need to be very clear and firm on what we want the industry to do. Till now, the tourism policy of our country has been vague. It's been saying everybody has to be sustainable. And they throw in stuff like Hmm. single-use plastic should be changed. You know, waste management has to be done, rainwater harvesting. When you leave things to people's interpretation without giving them a very clear framework saying, do it this way, it will never succeed. I've been working with the state, with the central government since 2010 when we first bought GSTC into this country. We are in 2024 now. Do we have a robust policy and framework in place for the country to follow? No. When I ask state governments, guys, why don't you move forward? They say that it'll be so much easier if at a Ministry of Tourism level, they put a clear policy, we will all just follow that. Mm. So now state governments are saying, you know what, forget it. We'll just do things ourselves. So it Mm. all starts with policy. So I am not letting the government off the hook here. Governments have the responsibility of drawing guidelines, which is what we call policy. And then Mm. governments have the, the, the responsibility of ensuring that the policy plays out on the ground. And they do that through incentives, through uh, rules, regulations, penalties, whatever it is that the government deems fit. So one is policy Mm. and second, execution of the policy. 
and typically we say incentives to aid to execute the policy. Till the government does this and trying to get the private sector to move along is a very difficult task. But I mm. still tell the private sector, force the government's hands. And the best way of doing that is if you yourself start to follow it and tell the government, hey, guys, we are doing it. Do you want to come along? Yes or no? Governments will jump at it at that time. At least this is what we've seen globally. I'm just giving you some things that have happened globally that is likely to work here also, you know. And governments like legacy building. To all, in fact, when I was in Vanavatu, when I talked to the, I mean, I had a chance to meet the prime minister and the finance minister of of that country. The only message I left to them is say, what is the legacy as you as parliamentarians who are elected by your people want to leave behind in the space of tourism? Think about the legacy you want to leave behind. And I'm hoping with that, I will change behavior. Now, Jenny knows how difficult it is to change behavior, right? So I'm just saying there are various things we need to use now and we need to rethink the way we approach tourism is the only submission I'm making. There are things, there are frameworks and guidelines that we have that have worked around the world. They are available, but every situation is different. What needs to happen on the ground has to be decided on the ground. And this is where, I mean, we have Fair frameworks, enough. we have guidelines, you know, there, there are, there are handholding that we do as an organization globally that's available. With uh, Again, with revenue, one of the sustainability for the industry, they need to have people coming in and we can't say there will be no people coming in. Absolutely. Of course, the government will set the framework of how many people will come in, what kind of people need to be coming in, how much should be coming in. This might be defined there. But you and I have seen that regulation is a catch up. They don't want, you wouldn't want the government to coerce you into certain things that they don't know. But in terms of declaring something as a biodiversity reserve, I think the uh, Ashobna and Jenny made a point that they need to be sitting across the table as people of the city or of the town or of the hill station and saying we want this to happen we don't want to completely cut off but this is a biodiversity reserve so ordering can be different so once that framework is laid and irrational tourists start coming in how do you think the uh, um, the industry itself can it play a role in making better awareness possible of the place people are coming into? Jenny mentioned this, right? City dwellers are, when they take a break from the city, why do you bring the same city with you? I can understand there may be uh, some amount of music to be played or something else need to be done. You need to have your drink. Uh, but how do you leave it behind? What is the history of the place? What What is Neil Grease? Do you even understand Neil Grease? Go here and find out. Aren't there things that the industry can do to make, I, I use the word educate uh, or, or nudge people into saying, hey, here's some uh, discount for you if you go and find out more about the place. Or I don't know. I mean, you know, what can they do to get people more aware of the local and enjoy the local? When you go, when you come to the South India, you will want to try an idli vada at some point in time, right? I mean, you can't just keep saying, I'll only eat the parathas, I bring the parathas back from there and that's all it is. You don't do that with food. Why would you do that with the rest of your behavior? Is there something you can think up that we can explain to the uh, uh, listeners right now uh, as some possible things? While there are frameworks which the industry can checklist off and you can guide them on how to do it, what could be done is something maybe we can take a stab at, right? We are all in the opinion space right now. See, first of all, the tourism stakeholders, all stakeholders, I mean private sector and public sector stakeholders, need to understand that all the assets that tourism depends on are assets that don't belong to Mm. the tourism industry. 
If you take the biospheres, it belongs mm. to the forest department. If you take archaeological sites, it belongs to the Archaeological Survey of India. If you take the beaches, it belongs to the local municipality. None of these assets belong to tourism. Yet, we mm. depend on that for our survival. So I always tell tourism stakeholders, mm. and this is including the government departments here, yeah? the tourism department and the government, they have absolutely no say over the assets that tourism depends on. Most tourism departments, all they do is promotion because they don't own the heritage sites or the beaches or the forests or the lakes or the rivers. They don't have any say over it. So the first realization is assets that tourism depends on do not belong to tourism. The tourism sector mm. needs to understand that. That is the only time they will start to think, oh my God, now what do I do to protect the assets that I depend on? It happened in this country once, and we have such short memories, unfortunately. Tiger tourism took a hit once. When the tiger population in this country sort of plummeted down, and the Supreme Court and the central government said, all rides into the forest where tigers are to be stopped immediately. Everybody mm. scampered and everybody panicked, saying, my God, now what do we do? Right? But we've forgotten that at any point in time, that can happen to any of the tourism assets. It's happened in Philippines. One of the famous you know, beaches in Philippines, the Maya Bay, Maya Bay and uh, the two, three other beaches in Philippines once was shut down for two years because the beaches were contaminated by the industry. The tourism departments and the tourism industry revolted, saying, my God's livelihood, everything. But the president at that time said, I'm sorry, if you don't know how to look after it, I'm going to shut it down till it rejuvenates. It took two years for it to rejuvenate. So we have instances. So once the tourism industry realizes that the precious biospheres and all of them are what we depend on for our tourism revenue, the first step you start towards saying, now what do I do to protect it? But that realization mm. itself hasn't come in because we don't talk about it. We talk like we own everything and everything Correct. is going to be there forever. Oh, I, I wanted to just rewind slightly to a previous point you made about uh, uh, policy. Government policy is one thing, but there's also, which is overarching. But uh, something that comes in uh, a little uh, more detail, uh, you know, more granular than policy would be actually putting infrastructure in place. If I, if I had to, if I had to, for instance, give the example of of Uti uh, of the Nilgiris, like public transport, for instance. I mean, you know, so some of us have been feeling that to restrict to restrict the number of cars entering the towns itself, because you know, on, on a weekend, on a long weekend, Uti, you can be stuck in a in a half a kilometer stretch for an hour and a half. It just doesn't move. It's gridlocked, you know. So if if there is, I mean, this is uh, these are some of the ideas that have been floating around, which would be very nice, actually, if the, if the citizens got more active in terms of getting these uh, implemented. But if you had parking outside, you're not allowed to bring uh, your private cars beyond a certain point. And then you had public transport. You had electric cars or electric buses. That with high frequency that took people to, because there are very few and specific tourist destinations in the, in, you know, they'll go to Dora Better Peak, they'll go, they'll go shopping, they'll go to the botanical garden. So it's very easy to have, it's very easy to predict where most of these people are going. <laughs> and you have public transport that takes them around. Now, those are the things only government can put in place. Make the rule. And secondly, provide infrastructure. Don't broaden the roads. You know, I mean, the broadening of the, of the Ghat Road has become such a big problem. So the infrastructure is also provided by the government in, in response to higher demand, uh, which is also a problem. 
then putting i mean i don't know whether ram this is even possible but what if you had to put ceilings on the amount of water a resort uses for instance it's not unlimited if you don't if you don't harvest rainwater and then this is a the water that you're getting in a day you have to put your own rule, uh, guidelines into into practice about how much water is used how the, you know solid waste and all is i think most people are, are actually all that is is being implemented but not efficiently but those are the low hanging fruit solid waste and things like that but if you have to put restrictions and provide certain things like like uh, uh public transport would would those things actually has anyone tried it and has it i'm talking about india so so uh, and restricting the number of cars going to very sensitive spots can i broaden that question one minute before you answer it is yeah. the question that i want to ask to that is what is at some point like uh, ram was saying if you fail if you have a market failure among all of you not being able to do this right coercion is going to be the natural resort and government is going to crack down why do we let it get to that level how do we collaborate and may not make sure that the assets we depend on is not so that question comes back to who what is limiting who limits do you want a coercive limit do you want a definition based limit biosphere reserve has certain limitations and then the industry follows that and does something because this is a tango in regulation if you run to coercion first you are going to have unforeseen consequences of course i am talking again uh, uh, tourism and revenue and people and revenue that kind of a model but if a biodiversity reserve is given and whatever else who how do you think these definitions need to come on limitations it could be possible like how it is happening now you say everybody craps the place and nobody wants to go there anymore right is that how limits uh, natural limits will be enforced at some point people find it either too expensive to live there or too shitty to live there and they just, i mean to move go there and then they just leave or do we have the industry trying to protect uh, this thing by defining some kind of limitations and then working with the government to say now you can enforce this on us and we will adhere to this so how what do you think is the right way to broaden this question and answer the same question who puts limits should we put limits is it like a ban or is it like a guideline is the industry mature enough to follow these things um you you raise a very relevant point i always tell you know ceos of companies if you haven't built sustainability into your long term strategic plan you have failed as a ceo and i tell cfos if you haven't built in sustainability into your balance sheet you have failed in your fiduciary duty and i mean this seriously sustainability today is risk mitigation of business a country like india had the guts to enforce a carbon tax on coal a country which depends 60 to 70% on coal for its energy general electricity generation has a carbon tax on coal if the government has the wherewithal to do that on something as fundamental as coal which is fundamental to energy generation of this country they are likely to do that for all other sectors and i always tell the tourism industry right now you are under the radar screen people have not noticed the damage that you are doing the resource consumption that you are doing governments haven't noticed it because they have not quantified it as yet they did that with cell phone towers mm. when cell phone towers propagated across the country somebody did a calculation and said that my god the number of diesel generators and diesel being burnt for cell phone towers is so high 
and there's a regulation which came on and cell phone towers are scrambling to do something about it. And I tell the tourism industry, a time will come when the government will realize and then they will enforce regulations and you will be caught with your pants down. Ensure that that doesn't happen to you. That's why I say, have a long-term view, anticipate what is coming. And that's the only way you will mitigate the problems of government regulation and coercion that will come at one stage. So it comes down to how does it work? Do we coerce people into it? Do we do voluntary guidelines? That depends, Satya, completely on every individual destination. Uti as a destination mm. is very different and its demands are very different. It needs needs are very different compared to, say, Kotagiri or compared to Ladakh. Mm. You know, Jenny, you talk about the traffic jams, you know, half a kilometer traffic jams in Uti. Ladakh, you have five, six kilometers of traffic jams in the peak season, right? So the demands of each destination, which is a geographical region, are different. And that is why I say that each individual destination needs to sit down together with itself, with its own stakeholders, the government, everybody together, and decide what is good for that destination. The central government, Ministry of Tourism, cannot decide that for Uti. Neither can the Tamil Nadu government decide that for Uti. Uti needs to decide that for itself, which means a robust stakeholder consultation. And when I say robust stakeholder consultation, I mean exactly that. Just stakeholder identification itself is a process that has been guided by the United Nations, by the Agenda Agenda 11, I think, which says there are minority stakeholders, there are silent stakeholders, there are disappearing stakeholders. So we get all the stakeholders together and decide what is good for Uti along with urban planners, along with NGOs, civil society, right? And we decide what is right for for Uti. When that decision comes up, when that group says, you know what, let's have a parking place somewhere at the base for all cars and we'll have electric buses ferrying, then that infrastructure investment will happen because it is a consultative decision that is taken by Uti. By everybody in Uti, his government is also part of the table. Otherwise, today, if we go and try and tell the government, develop the infrastructure and put in electric buses, it'll be one aspect, a knee-jerk reaction for one particular problem. Well, there are 100 other problems which are not being attended to. So this is where we advise destinations, don't do knee-jerk solutions. Get everybody together. Sit down, figure out all the issues that need to be taken care of. And then... Address them one by one. Put together a 10-year plan and ask yourself, what can be done within the next one year? When I say ask yourself, I'm saying that group needs to ask itself, which will include the government, which will include finance people from the government, civil society, activists, NGOs, everybody together, so that we are rational in our discussion saying we cannot do everything within the next one year. No, some things cost money, right? And we have to be rational about yeah. it. So how do we phase it out? Year one, we will do this. Year two, we will do this. And have a 10-year plan for OT, for example, or a 20-year plan. Then you will start to see momentum. Otherwise, it will be knee-jerk reaction. Plastic, single-use plastic, let's stop. Water usage, let's restrict. That usually does not result in a comprehensive movement of the destination towards sustainability. <laughs> It normally doesn't work that way. 
the industry is one part of it and how ram has laid out the road map of how it needs to protect itself and this situation he has laid a very good road map for people like namanil grish to involve themselves in the consultations of what uti and its neighborhood needs to be with the government what that consultation might look like what are the road maps and plans that need to be drawn out who are the stakeholders who need to be involved uh, with the industry as well as a, w- one of these people who will be doing the implementation but agenda setting is possible for people from namanil grace right so while that happens and a long term road map is laid out can everything be laid out on the industry to say you guys put the guard rails you said something again i want to repeat there is no responsible tourism without a responsible tourist while while ram might say they come for r and r and they need they are teenagers how do we convert irrationality into rationality in a retail way without just relying on them alone how do the listeners of this program at least try to understand why they shouldn't be transporting the city into these places what do you want to leave them with what should yeah, they do that is a huge question i mean ideally yes everyone's got to be responsible but in india take a simple thing like uh, garbage i mean how many years are we struggling to uh, even get people not to you know to uh, to use the right place to dispose of garbage or the right way to dispose your home your uh, domestic garbage segregation mm. and stuff i mean you know we are all, we are all also bangloreites how long it's been taking how a long hard climb that is so but but it has to be it i mean that uh, that talk has to be walked i think somewhere that awareness you know has to and also the other problem is it is prosperity that is slowly coming to a country like ours and a lot of people are first time travelers a lot of people are um yeah you know and 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 like ram says they they it's a reward a very hard earned reward and you just want to go wild so it is a slow process but i think that awareness maybe the you know the the destinations themselves definitely can contribute a lot to uh, that awareness building uh, a policy and certain restrictions that the, the, i think the government has to realize also that certain restrictions are needed specifically because tourist the tourism is still quite nascent and uh, in in this country prosperity is new there are a lot of first time travelers and that that uh, b- b- to change that behavior is actually a long climb it's not something that can happen overnight but it's but it is definitely worth everybody putting their shoulder to that wheel the industry and the government have to take on some that additional responsibility and that awareness has to be uh, you know working with the press working with social media again since using the same tools that promote tourism can also be re- used to promote uh, responsible tourism and uh, i think tourists have to also accept that the uh, responsibility is also theirs they have to share that responsibility okay. so um it's a it's a tough question to answer there is there is no magic bullet there's nothing overnight that's going to happen like i said i mean we've been struggling with garbage and uh, public transport for years you know both of us have been part of it in bangalore and you know how long and hard that climb is fair enough uh, thank you very much uh, ram jenny and uh, shobhana for being on the show and uh, answering these questions Thank you Satya. It was I think a, a, a subject that needs a lot more discussion. Thank you. Thank you Satya.